Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions. This is episode 40. Episode 40! Generation of Stories Are Soul Food. <laughs> Wait, is that two One gen- generation we have spent a fair amount... Mm. I just got back from the GHCs and nice. Welcome back. There were people who missed you quite a bit. I did not quite do the trick for them. They can suck it up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was a, we're never going to one in August again. Never, never. Why? The attendance was maybe 60% down. Okay. Everyone who goes to GHCs has it all put together by then. Okay. By then. So it's not just the pandemic, right? Okay, so we're talking today. You just came back from GHCs and you're sad. <laughs> and I just spent the time lying. We, as America, just came back from Afghanistan and we are also sad. But we're pretending that everything is fine. Yeah, everything's fine. Nothing to see here. This was, we. The were, Afghan military is one of the most well equipped in the world, I believe, is the Biden quote that I yes, saw. Not anymore. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah, what do you do when everything is horrible, Nate? Because that happens in every one of your books. <laughs> <laughs> in every good story, everything gets horrible. It's actually the the easy part of the story, and it's fun. It's fun to build it like that, but it's going to all get horrible. So, yeah. Every good story is that way. Every good story about every good character, there is a valley of the shadow of death. Everything gets horrible. Yeah, Okay. The question Uh, is, where is Easter for this country and how far away is it? That's the question. But it is there. Yeah. And is this the the bottom of the horrible? Which I think we can say it's not. No. No, this is not the bottom of the horrible. (laughs) Which is a sad thing to say, but you've got a quote that one of our readers asked about. You, I couldn't find the source for this. Right. uh, But you apparently said, act as a character with all the objectivity of a reader. Or that yeah. might have been an earlier episode of Stories or Soul yep. Food. I'm not sure. And then, you know, what does that mean for us in a situation where we are heading down? <laughs> what it means is you have to be able to see the moment you're in and the choices you're being given. And you have to be able to see them the way a reader would see them. I mean, it just means stepping outside. You're trying to get as much objectivity on your own emotional investment and all the emotional pressures and, you know, the pressures of the crowd and everything else. So, for example, like the vaccines right now getting pushed on everybody. Yeah, New York just launched their Excelsior right. pass required to Whatever go it is, eat yeah. food. And so you have all these things happening. Is there anything wrong? Is there anything actually wrong with getting the vaccine? No, but depending on which one. But there's not. And then there's also, but suddenly it's now a political symbol. And so it's now a symbol, you know, adopted by different te- a different team. And so teams are choosing their symbols. And then showing their loyalties and their, you know, their, their freedom, expressing their freedom or not. And it's, so I completely relate to not wanting to do ever what I'm told by a despot of any kind. That's a but, reaction I think we should foster. Right. And then you have, exactly. And then you have also the simple choices of like, okay, but if this were on the table, would I do it? And no, probably not. That's why they're having to force it. I would just take the other risk. There's risks here or risks there and i would choose my own risks but we get into these narratives we get all into these convoluted narratives where 
everybody's yelling at each other and people are yelling on both sides and well, and think, you're trying to make yeah. decisions and make choices and it's very reflexive yeah and people re react and and reflexively lurch into the grooves carved for them by their tribal loyalties and that's how we're made but if we want to do a good job and be good characters, we have to be able to see outside of those. Yeah, you want if you want to be wise, you have to get yeah, outside. Which means of you the have reaction. to be able to read this, the entire moment and read the entire scene and see which way it's going. So, I'm no prophet, but I do remember telling some people on a podcast who were talking about Trump walking away with a victory uh, in the election. I do remember telling them that Trump is a proud man, and we know what the author does to proud men. A haughty spirit yeah. comes before what, a fall. What happens in this book written, so, written by this author? What does he always do? So living with the objectivity of a reader in that situation means you know comeuppance You know what's come. coming. Yeah you, yeah, know, you know what's coming. And you know what's coming not because you're predicting the physics of the situation. You know what's coming because you start to get to know the author. When you get to know the author and the author's patterns, you know, oh, I'm reading a Chandler novel. I'm reading a Lewis novel, or I'm reading one of God's stories. And when you're in one of God's stories, you, you start to discern his own, pa his patterns, like his, his narrative patterns. And some of them are just overtly stated. So it's not like you're super insightful, you know, yeah, that, one, <laughs> well, that like, one's in Proverbs a number of times. <laughs> yeah. And also so, Isaiah and all the prophets. Which is <laughs> as a side note, also the fact that we have a whole month we name pride and we celebrate pride like it is now a virtue and we actually don't even have to explain what pride or for what we just talked about pride like well guess what's gonna happen yeah it reminds nothing me nothing good you don't have to actually know any of the details at all to know that there's an author and when there's a very very proud man or a very proud nation for example just hypothetically hypothetically or a proud deeply insecure self-conflicted empire we will be embarrassed we will be humiliated and, and, and yet unable to repent until <laughs> it's given to us <laughs> right and so the the same thing's true of every individual every nation every group of people there is an author and he is telling a story and he does tell the story in similar ways to previous stories it's funny how much we've lost because spencer's fairy queen you know he has the house of pride and everybody reading the fairy queen <laughs> you know what happens in the house of pride mm, the red pride. cross red cross knight and is like, heading oh, in there <laughs> yeah we all know this we know this story that's too obvious and that's what i mean by the objectivity of a reader as soon as you're a reader it's really easy if you were a reader reading the rise and fall of the american empire it would be extremely cliche and predictable because mm. it would be exactly the same as the rise and fall of all these other empires that went before. And one of the weird things is when the same like character gets used, you want to talk about like the Marvel comic universe in the story of the British empire, Afghanistan broke them in the story of the Soviet union, Afghanistan broke them Oop. in the story of the American <laughs> empire. Afghanistan broke them. It's like, what is wrong with us? Does anybody, does anybody not read a story? And Afghanistan actually clearly does read a story. And they know all they have to do is persevere. Wait it out. And just exhaust whatever big empire happens to be there right now. So They just have kids. <laughs> they have kids and wait for 20 years. And, and they know their stories. 
and they tell the stories of how they beat these previous empires and they they know the story and we don't know stories and we don't read stories and we definitely don't think that we're in a story other than one of our own writing we actually think we are in complete control as authors of our own personal narratives our national narratives our community narratives and we are not plus i think we have well it's back to pride but we have the hubris to think in terms of just solutions not yeah. trade-offs yes and so we think oh what's the solution we don't think of, we don't think of narrative choices character choices which right. are always trade-offs and you lose something to get something it's, yep. it's achilles you get long life or glory you don't get both and you are going to get that heel also yeah so as far as reading these stories goes the afghanistan situation is an absolute tragedy and it's horrible and a lot of people say, but we never should have been there in the first place. Like, really? That's, shouldn't. That, that, remains, that, that remains to be proven. You don't think that's demonstrated? I would say we never should have been there in the way in which we were there for 20 years. I actually have a lot more sympathy for open-eyed empire. Oh, okay. Self, self-aware empire as opposed to empire in denial. Empire in denial. And which is, one are we right now? <laughs> Empire in denial. And right, we are, right. And okay. as a result, we are doomed. Okay, like, because- When you're in that situation, you're absolutely- You have doomed. zero objectivity then. Because yeah, you're full of self-loathing while also happening to be <laughs> like- Manipulating. In, in all these frontier wars, you hate yourself more than your enemy does. And it would, yeah, you're going to lose in such a situation. Yeah. You're going to lose every time. When you see a team take the field, I don't care if it's peewee soccer or a Super Bowl team. If you, if you see the team fighting with each other as they take the field, place your bet now if, if Vegas is still open. <laughs> you know, this right. is like, get in there, call a sports agent, get your bet in because they're losing. That's when you know you got the shot at winning. If you're playing a yeah. team that's way better than you, but you can tick them off enough where they turn they start on each snapping other. snapping on each other, and then they're done. You win that hoop fest game. You win that <laughs> NBA game. Yeah, it's really, and so the, a good coach is somebody who's constantly trying to address those situations. You're done unless there is a resolution amongst those teammates. And we even know this from the other side of watching stupid Disney movies. We all know these things are true until we're in the story ourselves. So if you're watching a Disney film and the fat kids on the hockey team are fighting with each other, <laughs> and then at the end of act two, the coach forces a peace and a resolution and they come to appreciate each other and become friends. Now they're going to win. Yeah. Uh, this is because those things, that's how it happens. That's how it goes. <laughs> before that, you might not win, but before that, you have no chance. And after <laughs> that, you have, you have a shot. So the, this is a, a kind of a big excursus on that topic, but the... Reading your situation, making choices like a character based on the objectivity of a reader is, is your best shot. Like it is the best shot that you have of being wise as you navigate the trade-offs that are inevitable for a finite character in a finite story. Mm. Everything is not possible. So you got to choose. You're, yeah. saying, you're saying no matter how much you would love there to be a solution, you do have to make a choice. Yeah. There are plenty of people who are paralyzed by this, whether it's, you know, some guy who can't pull the trigger and really commit to a girl because he's frozen with all the other possibilities that maybe, maybe, but maybe, but maybe there's some, but maybe right. there's a different girl somewhere else that I haven't met or, but maybe this other girl, but maybe, 
And so, yeah, the how do I know? And so they decide no girl. The decision is nothing. It's still a character decision. It's still a narrative choice because time keeps going. The clock keeps, keeps ticking. The pages are turning. You don't get to pause it and then deliberate and then, you know, go make your choice. It's like (laughs) everything's just like tick, 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 move now character, tick, tick, tick. And then you lose years. Years are gone. I think that right there, you just summarize remains of the day. Yes. That, that is the tick, tick, tick. Yep. So anyway, we're all characters. We're all in a story. We're all, we can't stop the pages from turning. The story is moving. What you can do is make the best choices you can possibly make as a character. And the way to do that is to try to get outside of your own emotional investment in a situation and read. Try to read the story the way you would read any story. And the lights come on and choices become clear. Okay, but you just did something that makes you pretty uniquely Nate. <laughs> and that's the move from stuff sucks. <laughs> and I'm going to act even harder. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. So instead, I, like I, you said, I just got back from GHC and I remember speaking with some of the evangelists there. You know, they have their t-shirt booths that they're doing evangelism. Yep. And their move in response to our culture right now is to say, you know, Maranatha, Jesus is coming in a sense of like, I give it up. I'm not doing anything, yep. you know? So where do you, why aren't you doing that? If things are that bad, why, where are you getting that desire to dig in harder, act even harder in the face of, you know, a choice or a dead end or. Because, well, this is right back to reading the story because the story's not over. Hmm. You like you know where you are in the story, and there's all sorts of different looping narratives and three act structures, and there's this big, giant, infinite attention span and infinite personality crafting these stories, mm. and we have these little like fruit fly uh, attention spans, and so we think, man, everything sucks right now. Surely the book is almost over. And it's like, well, I mean, mm. no. Imagine. Being Joseph and Mary, while Herod's soldiers are slaughtering baby boys through the streets. Yeah. And this goes back to, we've talked Bible stories before and how much Christians love to duck, like parts of the Bible story. My dad has always said that he wants a nativity scene that includes Roman soldiers in the background. Killing just, the innocents. Just soldier, yeah, just soldiers slaughtering babies. Yeah, Rachel weeping. Yep. Yeah. It's like, that's part of the story, guys. Like, this is, that was brutal. So it's not just... Man, we, we had to have a, a birth story due to overcrowding. We had to have a birth story in a really awkward situation. Like, yeah, we did. And then we had to go on the run to Egypt because people were trying to hunt down and slaughter our baby. And we knew that we had to wait, although we, they didn't fully know. But in the story, the reader knows, no, 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 no. He's, he's not supposed to be slaughtered for at least 30 years. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's not quite over. It's never over. As grim as it is, like, okay, so fleeing to Egypt is pretty grim. With so this is the thousands of babies being murdered behind you, you flee to Egypt. And then you come back eventually, and you've got this kid who's getting lost in synagogues, and you know, he's he is quite something, and you know that he's well, if you read stories, you now know that he's a fulfillment of Cyrus. Uh he's like a fulfillment of Cyrus the Persian, who had a similar story, a nice little promise a messianic promise where he was to be slaughtered but survived 
Oh, okay. Uh, we're, then, we're, we're in Herodotus. Yeah. Right? And then by the same age that when Christ was in the synagogue around the same age, you have Cyrus the Persian identifying himself. Right. Because he's a shepherd's son. Accidentally. But he's so kingly that everyone says. Yeah. That he's com he commands all of the boys yeah. everywhere. They all, they all serve and follow him. And everybody's like, where is the shepherd? This is a weird shepherd's kid. And it's also the son of a shepherd, which is also kind of funny. Hmm. And so there's this great, like, ancient foreshadowing in Cyrus. Of, who who of then Christ. sent Nehemiah and everybody back to build yep. the temple. Exactly. So it's almost as if there's a really intricate narrative going on throughout history. Almost as if. Almost as if. But then, uh, so then you're at the cross and you're one of Christ's disciples and you have all the despair of uh, Good Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Since, no, it was not Friday. But you have all that despair, and then you uh, go to the upper room, and you're scared, and everything's bad. It's like, well, shouldn't you just tap out there? It's like, well, Christ is still coming back. And then you're like, yay, we win. And then he says, and now I'm leaving. Right. And it's like, wait, what? What? It's like, and now you have to conquer. And so until, until things are as bad for me as they were for those 12 back then, I can't quit. And even when they get that bad, I have to think like, okay, there's one narrative revolution. Right. Because you're thinking all the way back. We've gotten all the way back to pre-Pentecost. We've gotten all the way back to the Ascension when we're sitting here and there's literally just 12 of us left. We're down to 12 worldwide. There's only 12 believers left. We still haven't lost ground at well, that point. That's the moment when the fuse is about to go toward the big pile of gunpowder. <laughs> yeah. So you just got to make sure exactly. all you got to do is be the fuse. <laughs> that's that's Pen Pentecost is coming. So in and, that moment, if you think then, about it, but think yeah. about that for a second. If there were just 12 Christians, like 12 like l Christian leaders, let's say that even because there were more believers, but 12 deputies globally. I'm talking Asia, South America, Africa, North America, Europe, just 12. We were down to just 12. We still have not lost ground. Like that's how much ground we've gained. And to be down to 12 would be down to where we were right pre-Pentecost. So to think that it's all over, we lose is just dumb. It's provincial. It's dumb. It's narrow. And it misses the rhythms of history and the massive success of the gospel over the last 2,000 years. And it will never be down to just 12 again. And surprise, you're being just as proud about the place of America and the history as sure. your own country. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He's, and I love, I love my country. I honor my mother, my country. We would all die for our country. Yeah, absolutely. And what that means is dying for your, your people. You know, it's like that's as, as opposed to for an extra, you know, an abstraction. I'm not interested in dying for an abstraction, but dying for your land and for your people and the people who live in that land is important. It's, you have to be willing to do that. So anyway, the point is we are so far away from this being actually bad in the arc of the story. Like it is bad in this, in this uh, micro rhythm, in this little imperial cycle that we have going. It's bad. It's interesting. It's wild, but it's not new. And it's also always going to fail when empires compost, when big gods, like big false gods compost, it is really rich soil. When yeah. You, who's, whose quote is that? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I can't, I can't remember. 
one of the church fathers. Yeah, and we could say the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, but the rot of the empires is the soil mm. in which those seeds grow. So when a, an empire, when a secular empire is functioning and humming along, it's actually much harder to deal with when things are good for a secular empire. And the gospel has an advantage and an opportunity when things go to hell. When things rot down in compost, now you can plant and it can be received because people actually have a big giant vacuum. Yeah, they're, they're destabilized and their previous idols are now broken off at the ankles and on their, you know, on their faces. Yeah. Or jump into Elijah, you know, they've been cutting themselves for hours yeah. and calling on their God and all of a sudden turned out there's no one to save them. Yep. Good luck with that. <laughs> and there's one wild prophet. Yeah. Elijah's one of my favorites. But uh, anyway, right now, I don't have to pretend like things aren't grim. Things are grim. But I have to know, what, is it, what does God do when he makes really, really rich black soil? When he rots things down, all the way down to just their nutrients sitting in the soil. Yeah. Like, well, you know, it's time to, time to plant and there will be a harvest. Because the next big character you have after that Pentecost, you have that initial explosion, then you've got Stephen. Mm-hmm. How do we prepare ourselves <laughs> for Stephen? Well, we already, we're already there. Um, yeah. And, but we're there in most of the world. Right, just not here yeah. in the U.S. And I, I don't know that we will get to that in the U.S. So there's, there's too many believers. Yeah. So it's possible. We, yeah, but we, if, we it's repent, possible. if we repent first, yeah. we don't have to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have to get there. It's... It's a question of how far down the rot goes. Right. But I will say this, the persecution of the churches that have been closed down has been fantastic for the church. Mm -hmm. Like it's been really good where it's like, okay, so clearly a lot of lampstands are being removed. A lot of places are getting powered down and a lot of other places are powering up and people are finding, they're finding their people. Yeah. Our brothers and sisters in Canada. Yeah. People are finding each other. And so, and they're finding those, those points of light, those actual lighthouses where yeah, you're alluding to Revelation, and we've, we're finding out what happens with lukewarm mm-hmm. Christianity. It's gross. Yep. And you got to decide <laughs> quickly what to do. Yeah, you can, be also, done, you can be done with that. I mean, we're here after just having had the biggest conference we've ever had with, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, lo- locally. Locally here. It's like, I thought you just told me GHC was down. No, yeah. yeah. A big conference in Moscow, Idaho, yeah. Right, with, what is it, across our services? Couple so thousand. Couple thousand people worshiping together in a town of 25,000. Yep. You know, praise God. 10%. We're talking about 10% of the population of this place, and it will only go up from there. Yeah. So things are, things are rumbling, and people are finding their tribes. And I mean that in a good way. Also, it's happening in a bad way. But people are yeah. sifting. And we know that God does actually thresh the grain well that sifting right there is the objectivity you're talking about yeah you're seeing somebody that you think okay that's where i want to dig in if i'm if i'm yoked to to a church let's yoke here and let's pull sid the sifting that's where i want to be you want to find your people but there's also this is the objectivity of a reader if you're reading objectively you can have fondness for people and you can have affection for people and then you can see them be that character. And rather than being wrapped up in your own 
emotionally distraught grief at having been betrayed or or just how sad you are for that person who's making those bad life choices and I can't believe he's blowing up his marriage or I can't believe and he doesn't even know it yet you know it's like he's making choices that are terrible for his kids or whatever if you back out and read it you have to read it like a reader get further away you're still going to make your your choices as a character but you have to be able to see oh that's that's who they are that's who that person is they're that seed and you know the shallow soil or whatever right. you have to be i mean it's like a bit of a sociopath and i have actually jokingly told my kids in different situations like okay be a sociopath about this <laughs> okay wait what do you mean <laughs> oh like, you get rid of the emotion completely quarantine your emotional investment mm. find yourself completely unable to emotionally connect to anybody involved in this scenario that you're trying to navigate and now look at it Get yourself out of that fog and then assess it. They're not actual sociopaths and they never can be, but you can try to quiet all the cacophony of your emotional investment mm. in a situation such that then you can look at it and say, oh, like, okay. Don't you, do you think emotion plays a part in that decision? Well, emotion plays a part in every decision. We can't ever really divorce it. It's like three dimensions. You have, an, uh, you have a logical dimension, you have an emotional dimension, and it's like height, width, breadth. If you remove all the height, you have nothing. If you remove all the width, you have nothing. So you can't ever, ever absolutely kill your emotions, nor should you want to. But you, you should realize that your emotions can be liars. Like yeah, how you, you feel can be false and deceptive and can be used against you and can be used to make you make foolish decisions. One question you always used to ask the freshman in rhetoric was, what's the relationship between tears and truth? I thought that was a great question, you know, because <laughs> you, you, you wanted yeah. them to come to the spot where they could say that tears mm. have to be the servant of the truth. Yeah. And it's not truth, the servant of the tears. Correct. And so you have... But that doesn't mean you don't cry ever. You don't mourn with those who mourn. Yeah. And so talking to my son who is, gets into a lot of apologetic discussions and conversations and he was up super late last night talking analytic philosophy and Platonism with a, a school bud. It's just, you know, that kind of a kid. When he's in those conversations with people who don't believe and he's having those discussions, I've told him you can never, ever, ever play chess flustered. Mm. Or like you don't want to ever be an emotional chess player. And we all know that, right? So realize that when you sit at the chessboard, your emotions are pieces on the board. They should not be the player. And that's mm. really kind of a wild thing for people to even try to comprehend. They're so used to thinking of their emotions as like a, a foundational witness or the, the thing holding the reins. And they, it, your emotion should never hold the reins, but neither should just your intellect. You shouldn't try to. They should hold each other accountable. Right. You know, they're like, twin horses, you know, pulling something together. And you, you have to make sure that one is not ultimately ruling the other and that both are ultimately ruled by the other. Because there are people who, if they're overly analytical and they're just looking at the chessboard, they can then fail as a character because they fail to act on an emotional loyalty that should be there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like they, you know, they just, they just try to kill it. It's like, no, this is a person whom you love and you, you actually need to go do something for them because of that. 
like because of that relationship, because of that emotional. So bond. you're thinking they avoid, say, a confrontation or yeah. avoid following up on somebody because yeah. they're being completely rational about it. Or, yeah, exactly. Or they they get swung around by their emotions. They get swung around by their emotions in both directions. So you can have people who opt out of anything emotionally difficult completely, and you can have people who opt into everything emotional because they think it's uh, more. Yeah. They think it's more authentic, right? And it's just really confusing. So read your story. You as a character, you have your mind, you have your body, you have your, your soul, and you have all these emotions. That's part of who you are. That's part of the character on the page. But when you're deciding what that character on the page should do, when there's a given trade-off, jump back, get off page, and read it like you'd read a Jane Austen novel. Read it like you'd read Lewis. And you'll know immediately what that character should do. And often you'll find out that, you, but you don't want to, but I don't want to do that. Like, okay, that's a different emotional situation for that character. You're down there, you know, in the fog of the pressures of the choice, get out of the fog of the pressures of the choice and then be more honest and objective about what you're faced with. Yeah. And then, so our goal as a character is not just to exist till Jesus comes, right? Right. Yeah. We're called to grow. Yeah. 30, 60, 100 fold. We're called to fill the earth. We're called to raise children for a thousand generations, right? So I think maybe, maybe we're- A little bit of a long haul. Yeah. Th that might be the emotional change that a lot of folks who are feeling like, hey, I, we're just quitting right now. Yeah. You, you're not actually in the fourth quarter with three seconds left. Right. There you go. Even kind of. You're, you're nowhere near that. You are, and this is the thing that's hard, is that you are in- the last act of an empire like you are nearing that now is there going to be a little mini rebirth and more of this story of the american empire probably oh um, but there's category confusion if you yeah. mix up your life and goals but the absence of like the death of an empire whether it's the british empire or the roman empire or the greek empire or the french empire is not the death of the church and it's not the death of goodness, and it's not the failure of the gospel. Yeah, not even close. <laughs> and if it rocks you to your core, it means your emotional loyalties were slightly out of whack. Yeah. Like, I love the Constitution. I'm grateful for the Constitution. But, you know, it's like, that's not the New Testament. Yeah. And get it off of that plane. There are a lot of books that can help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not just stories, but especially stories. You know, yeah. reading, reading stories about the little guy winning. And then also history is often really helpful. I like that you went back to even pagans. Cyrus the Persian. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, Cyrus Smith. Cyrus Smith is named after Cyrus the Persian. Yeah, yes. maybe we need to just get people reading a bunch of stories of martyrs just to get in the oh, right Oh, gosh. <laughs> That'd be great. Missionary biographies and stories of martyrs. Yeah. Like grow up <laughs> when yeah when when people in england were being burned at the stake for being christians for believing in justification by faith burned at the stake in england it's like this is not we're not talking about people who got eaten by cannibals in some faraway distant land we're talking about back when the brits were cannibals devouring their own like that william Tyn tyndale we had not very long ago people were being hunted down and murdered for wanting to have the bible in english like just even the concept of having the Bible in your own language was something they're willing to murder you over. Does that sound satanic at all? Yes, because it was. <laughs> and like, and yet they didn't quit and they didn't give up. And those guys, if Tyndale could speak into your life right now, he he honestly would just laugh at you. 
And he would look at the number of believers everywhere and he would rejoice. And the number of Bibles. <laughs> number of Bibles, number of believers. And the, honestly, that genie's never going back in the bottle. That was a huge, huge victory that's going to continue to cascade over time. That fight over whether or not man would be allowed to read the Bible. Right. And people died and battled for the that The fact hill. that Tyndale said, I want the and, plow yep, boy to yep. be reading the Bible. And, and he didn't even finish. Right. Right. He got the New Testament, I think, right? And got murdered. And then was killed. Yeah. And won. And, and that ground he took was no Afghanistan that we will ever retreat from. There's no way the Bible's ever going to get, like ever going to get put back on the shelf in the Vulgate unreadable. It's not going to happen. And I mean, even in places like China, blockchain is really messing them up because there's, I just had a, a guy told me that there's been over a hundred million Bible downloads off of blockchain in China. A hundred million? Yeah. And okay, you, so that means they, they can't block that then. Right. So it's like, okay, and they'll try and they'll be measure, countermeasure, and they'll keep fighting, but we are a long way from Tyndale and yeah. that fight. Praise and God. Wycliffe Bible translators and all the things that have happened, like the Bible is all over the place and it's never going away. And so this is back to the, the point of we'll never be just 12 again. We're never going to actually end up losing ground ultimately. So Bitcoin is up, Bitcoin is down, uh, but Bitcoin, this Bitcoin will never be all the way back to zero. It's just not going to happen. So you just compared the, the Christian church to I did. Bitcoin. I did. <laughs> I absolutely did. So anyway, I, uh, I find this mo these moments are exciting and they're hard and they're difficult. And they are very, very good for you. And they will define you as a character and they'll define your children as characters. Also flipping it from the author's perspective, you're written for this moment. You're made yeah. for it. You're not here accidentally. Yeah. You're part of the cast of characters who was sent on stage at this moment in right. this time with this setting. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of comfort in the New Testament, <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> right. but, but just promises about you knowing what you're going to say like the spirit's going to help you know what to say when you need to and then also just everyday faithfulness sure it's it what you do what's in front of you you don't have to take down the um, the american empire yourself <laughs> yep react towards what's biblical so do the biblical thing feel the biblical way feel in ways which are biblical don't just allow your emotions to to do whatever and think they're a chemical reaction that can't be controlled you actually need to subordinate and submit your emotional life to scripture and your intellectual life scripture so look at the situation and feel correctly right and by correctly i mean biblically and then make decisions biblically back out and read the story and then make your choices and that includes how you feel right how you speak whether it's time for anger or whether it's time for a soft word right like all of those things, submit all of those character choices to. And we talk about God. that a lot, but those choices, you can do that with gratitude. Yeah. For looking at, actually looking at where you are, mm -hmm. where you've been, your people. Correct. And, you know, I actually, I'm descended from, among others, a 19-year-old daughter of a rabbi in Brooklyn who ran away with a married man who was in his 50s. Oh, wow. 
and ran off to Indian territory, <laughs> oh. uh, which, which then became Oklahoma. And like, this is my dad's very fond of saying God draws straight with crooked lines. That's what he does. There's a crooked one. There's a pretty crooked line right there. And here I am here. Here I sit like our stories and where we come from and who we, who we are, where we're going. All of those things are things that God in his amazing, miraculous creativity gives us a hand in. Right. Like we have choices. Yeah. My wife's grandmother, you know, is looking at 140 great grandkids right now. <laughs> and it's, it's, wow. And she counts them all. And I think watching the faithfulness just grow like that. Yeah. Is awesome. And the, it is. <laughs> and also, if, if you really are faithful and God blesses your line to a thousand generations, none of those people will know your name. Right. I mean, after just a couple. Right. Just a couple, and they're all going to forget. And they're not going to know why they're in that rich soil other than it's just grace. So, yeah. That's what uh, we'll, we'll end with that. Just be grace. You want grace, but be grace in the world. Be grace to your kids. Be grace to your family members. Uh, and do not be a, a scratching, panicky, drowny person who's no fun to approach. Like You actually want to be the, the pockets of good weather in the world because there's not a lot of those, and they stand out remarkably right now. There's That's not a good. lot at the moment, but there's more than 12. Right. <laughs> a lot more than 12. That's All good. right. Peace out. Till next time when we're retreating for our, from our next frontier war, wherever that is. There's actually a, quite a number of places we could <laughs> retreat from. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, check out the Notes from the Tilt-A-World documentary. Available now on the Canon app.